0: Attention planet Earth and beyond, stay tuned for Attack of the Killer Podcast!
1: all you monsters and maniacs and welcome to the first episode of attack of the killer podcast what is this podcast about well basically it's a group of five friends that all have a similar interest of horror movies and we like to sit around and talk about that and we just figured we'd start recording it so that's basically what the show is about I want to take a moment and have everybody kind of go around and introduce themselves i am insane mike uh I have a film company called Prescribe Films, stationed here in Iowa, and yeah, love horror movies.
2: <laughs> um, I'm Justin Beam. I'm a writer with Fangoria, Famous Monsters of Filmland, and a number of other things, and also here for my love of horror, and Golden Girls. <laughs> <laughs>
3: I'm uh, I'm Joe Zero, and I met these fuckers at a festival, and now I'm stuck doing their, their podcast.
1: <laughs>
0: He's on to us.
3: <laughs> <clears throat> no, I, I, I uh, independently made a movie, and I met these guys through that, or you guys <laughs> through that. And, and now we're all having an interest in horror, I guess.
2: I hope so, I get to hear about that movie at some point.
3: <laughs> we're not going to talk about that movie <laughs> Jerk
0: <laughs> <laughs> And I'm Jason Bollinger I too am with Prescribed Films Love movies, love horror movies I have horror movie tattoos Blood and Guts is fun
3: I have horror movie t-shirts That's, that's easier right, to
2: take back on, to on, on Back to <laughs> Joe Well, I, you know <laughs> Jesus Christ <laughs>
4: and this is uh my name this is that sounds great uh my <laughs> name is Stephen tracy uh um everybody calls me Flyboy. um i've been a big horror movie fan all my life i remember uh every weekend when my mother would take me to the video store i always rented dead alive and like every single weekend I always watched that and i kind of grew you know being a horror fan from that and uh uh, along with that, I run a uh, paranormal group here in Iowa, Iowa Paranormal. Um, we got ghosts and Bigfoot and aliens and all that other fun stuff. So <clears throat> that's that's about it with me.
3: You should have said, and we have a caller online. <laughs>
4: <laughs> <laughs>
3: he had that prepared a lot more than we did. What the hell, man? Yeah. And we
2: sound like idiots.
3: Yeah. He had a lot okay. of,
1: He had a lot of time to think about what he was going to do. All right, well, welcome guys, to our first episode ever. This is exciting.: Hey, it's good to be here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> hey, Justin, you want to uh, explain to the audience uh, what this episode is?
2: I, from what I understand, this episode is about the Golden Girls, and I don't really know how that ties into horror. What? But your yeah. weird <laughs> fetish pictures you were sending me before we started here <laughs> kind of flipped me out a little bit. <laughs> we I'm all- into weird, but I'm not into like geriatric weird. So might just <laughs> scale that back a little bit before the next episode. <laughs> and this time, in fact, I'd like to actually change the topic a little bit today, if you don't mind. <laughs> golden shower, Pete, and. Maybe focus a little bit on what we like about horror. Maybe even our favorite horror films. And we can go around and, <laughs> and share. And if we all agree or disagree, we can voice our agreement or disagreement. And we'll see where that goes. It's surely to someplace hilarious.
1: All right, I guess if that's <laughs> what you want to talk about, that's fine. I I still think naked pictures of B. Arthur is a genius topic, but
2: uh, well, yeah, I can, we can talk about it if you want.
1: All right, no, no, the, yours is, yours is better. Yours is better. So right. so we're gonna talk about our favorite horror movies. Who wants to go first? I will. Oh. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what really got me? Uh, what really pushed me over the edge into the world of horror was um, the original. And it it sucks because I'm pretty sure everybody's going to have to say that at the beginning of their movie title. But the original uh, Dawn of the Dead, the 1978 George A. Romero classic. What's the A stand for? A stands for awesome. That's right, it does. Because George is awesome. (laughs) The greatest director ever until Survival of the Dead. But regardless... I love the movie. It's great, and I I had this like um, conversation with somebody just the other day about like um, horror movies that like nowadays with horror movies where they feel the need to do like prequels or or tell all the backstory of your monsters or, or your uh, creatures or whatever, and. And I've always felt that that detracts a lot from what makes those creatures scary. But beyond that is that if you're spending so much time of your running time really focused on, like, the monsters and the creatures or whatever, that's less time you have to really develop your protagonists in the film. And then you you just don't care about them as much. And then that's when it's not as scary as well. And that's what's great about Dawn of the Dead is is there there are, like – you you know that movie goes on forever, and there are like hours before you see it you know in that movie when there's no zombies. You know where they're just like existing in the mall and you know barricading themselves up and all that stuff, and just really getting to uh, get to know the characters and their motivations and stuff. And and so when when one of them gets killed or whatever or gets gobbled up by a zombie you 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 care a lot more and it's a lot more it's a lot more intense it's a lot more um i think scary and suspenseful so <laughs> but even in
3: that the I, I wouldn't say uh the zombies you almost feel bad for them in that particular movie more than any other especially when the biker game come comes in there because and they just pick on them oh I mean, yeah it, yeah it's one of those things face. where it's you you're rooting for the zombies at one point in that movie
2: yeah, at least I was. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I, and there's also something. There's a little bit of melancholy associated with the concept that we would all in death still flock to the things that we so shallow, so shallowly love in life and treasure, like the mall, for example, that we all just would stumble there. But the the whole empathy thing was something that George revisited with Land of the Dead, where the zombies become, you know, they're they're basically for amusement for the living at that point and it creates a similar kind of empathy where you're ready for this uprising to happen and i think that that kind of began with don
1: yeah i agree absolutely he's always he's always said that he has had uh, sympathy for the zombies more than the uh, more than the humans and that obviously grows as the whole the whole his all of his zombie movies go on like day of the dead is another one too i mean there's just like several characters in that movie you just can't wait for them to get eaten up by the by the zombies and then you got like bub in there who is just like the most sympathetic character you know out of the whole entire movie and he's yeah. he's a zombie so mm-hmm. <clears throat> But it just one of the things I really have always liked about George, and this is this is my filmmaker side talking, is like it, early George Romero works. Like the man has had such a kinetic energy to his storytelling, and the fact that it's it's not like a ton of camera movements or a ton of crazy shots. It's all in his editing. Like the man for you know for the the time that he was making those movies and the budgets he had to work with to do that many that many shots and that many setups um, for a particular scene like like he can make like a two punch fight scene uh, go on for like 40 shots you know and giving you every bit of information and every bit of information every every bit of that information is important to the scene and that's what I've always liked about his earlier works and so as, as time goes on he, and he makes like the later films like Land of the Dead and Survival of the Dead and, and, and even like um, you know movies like Bruiser um you know that side of what I love about George has kind of diminished, and and it makes me a little sad.
3: Yeah, well, I think like like uh, Diary of the Dead, he he all of a sudden becomes what everybody else is doing, and, and, and that that's kind of that's unfortunate. But I don't know. I, Dawn of the Dead was was a was a great great film. Has a great soundtrack. It definitely fits that air more than uh, uh,
2: most other films of that time, I guess. I don't know.
3: <laughs> I don't know where else I'm going with that.
2: Well, he's interesting that a lot of these films, even though there's the, the the obvious common thread, they all have a different feel. No two of his dead films feel the same to me. I think the closest would probably yeah, yeah. be Dawn, Dawn and Day, but each one in, in its, its tone its concept it it isn't just the same thing over and over again which and is which is what makes characters. these special yeah yeah but why do you think that is like mike as you as as the sort of biggest fan uh, of among us here why do you think george is uh, someone who creates product that is also the the i guess the result of who he's working with you know how some directors if they have a different writer or a different DP or something, and then all of a sudden, it doesn't look quite like their last film, for example, or what we know of them. Why do you think George is different in each one of these pictures?
1: I don't know. I mean, that may be part of it because I know some of those, a lot of those earlier films. You know, Michael Gornick was his DP, Mm -hmm. um, and then even even before Michael Gornick, Bill um, DP'd for him, Uh, and then since then, you know, like since ever since like uh, Two Evil Eyes. You know, he started shooting his stuff in Canada, and not, I don't even remember who who is like DP or cinematographer were on those films, but um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, that may have a lot to do with it because a lot of those films, if you go back, I mean, and watch watch movies like Martin and and Dawn of the Dead and Night Riders and even Creepshow, like those those were like family reunions in Pittsburgh because it was like yeah. you know it's the same same people the same people worked on the film and they just worked in different departments. It's like a PF film, you know, this time, you know, Christine, Christine Romero is going to uh, do casting this time. You know, John Amplis is going to act, you know, or whatever. But, uh, <clears throat> um, and I don't know. I think maybe like, I think maybe some of that, that, uh, family dynamic that he had in those films where he had his tight little group of people that he worked with, um, and now that he doesn't have that anymore, I think I think maybe that reflects reflects in the films as well, as far as as the look and the
2: feel and the the energy of the films. Maybe I don't know. No, I I agree. I think, and I look at Creepshow, Two Evil Eyes, and I mean those two in particular feel very similar to me the look and in, in tone wise and it's like feel uh, I don't know they, there's a consistency between the two of them whereas they're very different than day and everything's different than night of course you know when he's getting his hmm. wheels under him Yeah. Uh, and so I've always just found that to be very fascinating and it's similar in music where a guitarist has a new band and it's completely different or one element's changed and it can completely shift the dynamic of, of anyone's productivity or their creative vision And his work with Argento. You know, when he gets together with Dario it seems to sort of absorb a little bit of Dario, I think.
1: Well, you know, I've always told you my theory on Dario and when he produces for other people, right? He's like the he's like the Italian Steven Spielberg.
2: Spielberg, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Where like a lot of lot of his films that he produces look really similar to the types of movies that he was making at the time.
2: Yeah. And,
1: you know, even though they're done by completely different directors with completely different styles, they all have that same kind of look and vibe to them
2: Mm -hmm. as,
1: you know, all those emblem pictures, you know, gremlins, you know, goonies and stuff like that. Sure. They're all very similar looking to the stuff that Steven Spielberg used to do. And same thing with Argento with like, with like Dawn of the Dead and Demons and, um, and Non-Blanken on any other, uh, ones um but anyway regardless like they they all have a very similar argento feel and look to them so Mm -hmm. so it just really you know you always hear how dario is very particular and controlling about about the projects he's working on you've always heard that about steven spielberg too so you know dario had a lot of input on what was going on with those films that he was backing so sure and speaking of argento there's
0: several different cuts of this movie do you mike have a favorite
1: and why well i mean if you were to recommend i mean i prefer i mean I, I grew up on the the u.s theatrical cut so may i'd have to say maybe that one but the italian there is something to be said um to of watching the italian cut because there's there's several of the argento cut because there's several moments in that film where scenes are just completely different from the american version and it's interesting because like you know, there's almost like a different um you get a whole different uh um, feeling out of that scene, you know, whether before it was it was, uh, you know, maybe a little bit more comedic or maybe a little more heartfelt or whatever, and then in Argento's cut, um, it had a completely different vibe to it. So,
3: how did he change the ending in another cut, or was the
1: ending always the same? It's it's uh, always been the same in every cut that I've seen, but I have heard because that like, I always I always felt that was the weakest part of that movie. Was the
3: way that ended with them just flying off into the sun. Well, yeah, it's Sunshine. like, it's, it's really, uh, it, it, it's a, it's a, it's a dark movie. That's just darker. And at one point there, it's uplifting. And then all of a sudden it's, we're all going to die. And then there's happy music and he runs to the helicopter and it's like, Oh, come on. I, I always had a hard time with that. Well, I, mean, but I, just... I love the movie. I love the movie, but I, 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 I figured they just kind of, well, how, how do we end this? Well, it doesn't, have a real ending.
1: Yeah, I mean you're you're absolutely right, and like I mean that's one of the things I, I like a lot about George's earlier earlier stuff is that they they don't end happy. You know, like Martin. Night was. of Living Dead has one of the
3: coolest endings absolutely. I've seen.
1: Oh, totally. I, I mean it, it's it's
3: it's so powerful, and and hearing him talk about oh we cast the you know him the the black actor we cast him because he was the best actor of all our friends had nothing to do with any political anything, but it, it was it's such a statement there at the end. Yeah. How I, he's okay and he gets you know, it's 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 a really cool ending and then Dawn of the Dead is just a cool story and it just didn't have uh an ending.
1: Well, I had heard at one point, and I think it was maybe in George's commentary track um, that he, that it was said that there was a different ending. There was supposed to be a different ending, and I thought maybe he said that they had filmed it. I can't remember for sure, um, but it's never been seen anywhere if they did film it, uh, where like it ends a lot more on an unhappy note, where like Ken Forey actually does shoot himself. You know, he's sitting there contemplating suicide as the zombies yeah, yeah. are come crashing in, and he actually does it in in the original scripted ending so
3: would that have made it better you think like, what, 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 how how would you end
1: that well it's tough it's, it's tough because how do you end a zombie movie when you know when there's no way to end the zombie apocalypse you know you can't wrap up the, you know and put everything in a nice happy package within Within an hour and a half or two hours, so I don't know. But as far as particularly with *Dawn of the Dead*, I mean, I probably would have had him shoot himself just because just because I'm just evil like that, and I like endings that just happen miserably like that. Yeah. Hmm.
3: Typically, when you see an ending like that, when you see an ending where where it it's somewhat happy ever after, you think, and I always think this, uh, the studio the got studio involved. Do it.
0: Yeah.
3: Oh, and, and in this case, in this case, the studio didn't get involved. But they still ended Happily a raptor because this was a what was this the first unrated
1: theatrical release film
3: wasn't it yeah, something pretty,
1: like that yeah pretty much yeah um, yeah I don't know if the I, don't, I can't think of anything that was before it but you're absolutely right it was released un, unrated that was that was a choice a uh, very conscious choice of of George and Richard Rubenstein um uh but yeah I don't. I don't know why they changed it from the unhappy ending I don't know if that was producer input or not hmm. now great now I'm going to have to go home and listen to the commentary
3: but no I mean honestly though having it end happily ever after is actually different than than most zombie movies I've seen most of them end on a down note or if they do end on somewhat of a positive note it 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 goes negative later
1: Well, it's like in a zombie movie, you're you're essentially telling the story of the of the characters, and so like in this apocalyptic, you know, zombie Armageddon, where are they going to go from there? You know, how how are you going to end it? So yeah, yeah, I mean, death is like the ending. So
3: yeah, the zombies
1: are death,
3: and these these people just have a lower life expectancy. They're they're not living till ninety a hundred like we are. They're living like they used to live a long time ago when they didn't have the health care. So I'm gonna go political here. Interesting. <laughs> no, but no. What was neat about that was really there was there was the good guys and the bad guys. I felt in Dawn of the Dead, and it, it, the bad guys were the biker gang. The good guys were you know the people in the the mall, and then death was just the zombies that was the eventual thing that was creeping on them the whole time. That, that's kind of how I felt in that particular zombie movie. And it was, it's a great movie. Oh, yeah. Now, since most of, the, you know, most of these are Not remakes damn. or
1: whatever, what did you <laughs> think of the remake? I'm just curious. <clears throat> I love the remake if they didn't call it Dawn of the Dead. Yeah. um i actually thought it was a really good fun zombie movie but it's it has nothing to do with what dawn of the dead was you know dawn of the dead is not a movie about people being attacked by zombies and then they go hang out in the mall that's not what donna what the original dawn of the dead was so but but it was still it was a fun movie um I, I hate the the notion of Zack Snyder taking credit for fast moving zombies because that's BS. There was fast moving zombies long before the Dawn of the Dead remake. Um, and I'll tell you what, like I hated it when I saw it in the theater. I hated it.
3: Oh yeah, I remember
1: that. Because well, first of all, I go already going with bad attitude because you guys are you know you guys are messing with my favorite film of all time, right? So. But then there was one sequence in the movie that totally took me out of the rest of the movie, and it's right there at the beginning, of them getting into the mall. Now in the original Dawn of the Dead*, they spend like good 15, 20 minutes of getting into the mall, and then showing you another 10, 15 minutes of how they barricade the mall and and how they build their existence, you know, you know, and, and co co living with what's going on on the outside. <clears throat> but uh, in, Dawn of, in Dawn of the Dead*, when I saw it in the theater, uh, the theatrical cut. They they're like, hey, you know, we decided we're gonna go to the mall. Cut to a toilet crashing through the window and them crawling inside. Yeah. And I'm like, what what what? First of all, if that's true, you're totally exposed to the outside world and blah 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 blah. But then when I saw the uncut version, that's not how they got into the mall. They get into the mall through a door like a, a door on the side and then. I don't even remember why they threw a toilet through a window, but it was actually a window of a store and not a window from the outside. Totally mm-hmm. misleading in the theatrical cut.
3: See, what bothered me in the the, the remake, I suppose, is the uh, the fact that there was no reason for them to leave. Whereas in the in the the original, they left they they had left because they were forced out, mm-hmm. and, and and in the in the remake. What do they expect? There's something better. And they leave when they have a lot more, you know, things at their disposal to use. As, you know, the, the, being in a mall is the thing that you want if you're going to ha- you know be in a zombie apocalypse. You want to go to some place that has Everything. a gun store and all yeah. that other crap. Mm-hmm. And the fact that they leave to get on a boat to go to some island, you know, it's kind of – I had a hard time with that. I liked I liked in Ramiro's that the the people always in all of them on the common thread it was always the people that were the real bad guys and that was that was always yeah. interesting
1: to me and and that was also another problem I had with the remake too it's just like the, the character development that was all over the place like what you know the 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 one um, security guy for the mall was like the bad guy for a long time. And then you start to like the guy and he starts to like, you know, not be such of an asshole. And then all of a sudden they introduce a whole bunch more characters just so they can have a new asshole that everybody hates. Yeah. You know, the the Bruce Campbell looking guy, I can't remember his name, but uh, the one that had the boat, he was just a, a, an a-hole.
3: And then they did, and then then we just. Modern
1: Family now, is that? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. and they would just keep introducing characters throughout um, throughout this whole movie, just keep throwing more and more characters at you to the point where, like, I had no concept or even, you know, who these people were or even that they were there half the time. Like, the yeah. blonde girl that the Modern Family guy is, you know, like, boning in the uh, in the one montage scene, you know, I, when I first watched it, I'm like, where the fuck she come from? Why is he all of a sudden having sex with this girl? And then I didn't, you know... Didn't realize till the second viewing. It's like she was in that group that that came in when you know when when the truck backed up to the to the mall. Yeah.
3: Hey, what was cool about it though was uh, the the remake. It kicked uh, Passion of the Christ off of number one spot of that of being number one for like two or three weeks in a row, and then Dawn of the Dead came out and that was number one. So
0: <laughs>
3: I remember that vividly. I thought that was the funniest thing when I because seeing that in the theater anyway we can move on fuck you guys Easy yes stupid. we need to move on
2: <laughs> dawn of the dead sucks yeah that's what i heard <laughs> whatever, whatever. Love, it. <clears throat> love, it. love it so love it we all love it
0: we all love steven's favorite movie too yes
1: yes steven flyboy what's your favorite yeah movie? my favorite film
4: of all time is uh, John Carpenter's <laughs> 1978 uh, film Halloween? Woo! And, uh, yeah, 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 yeah.
1: yeah. Did he say Rob Zombie? I I didn't. Oh, oh man! We'll probably about it later. See now this, no, I'm, j- I'm joking. This is why we don't. We're not all sitting in the same room because <laughs> somebody would get punched by the end of this podcast. <laughs> yes, absolutely.
4: No, I. You know. Um, uh, I'm a little bit different than Mike in the sense that I'm not – I don't really get into the whole character development and politics and, you know, subliminal messages and all that other shit.
2: <laughs> like um, you, Mike. <laughs> I
4: just want to sound yeah, more no, intelligent I'm, than I am. Sorry. Um, but, uh, no, know, it's, um, it's just always one of them films that, you know, I've watched a thousand times and I can watch a thousand more times. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Just something about uh, uh, Michael Myers, you know. I'm just a big fan of his. Uh, I I don't really, you know, have this great reasoning, you know, of, you know, why it's.
0: Oh, and you know, something clicks, man. It clicks. You just.
4: Yeah, it just it just clicks. It's, and, and I think it has a lot to do too with um, this series as well. Up until you know a few of the, um, <laughs> rapper duo and all that. Yes, rappers, exactly, but, um, no, it's just, uh, obviously the, um, uh, the music, you know, the famous, you know, tune, um, I, I don't know, uh, it's just always, always been my favorite film, like I said, I'm not much of a man for words of explaining why and all that, but, uh, it's, I don't know, Michael Myers, uh, I'm, I'm just a, Just a horror thing, guys. Leave me
1: alone. Well, Flyboy, let me ask you a question because I know we've talked about it several times. You didn't, when you started watching the Halloween movies, you didn't start with one, though, right? You started, didn't you start with four or five?
4: Uh, Yeah, uh, I somehow came across uh, Part Five, and it was like the first Halloween film I ever watched, and I was like, oh, this is pretty cool. This Michael Myers cat, you know, I've seen him. Before, you know, when I was younger, I'd flip the channels and see them, but I never really paid attention. So I went to my video store and got the whole series, and, I mean, immediately after one, you know, I was just hooked. Um, something about, you know, this guy, you know, the, his mask, um, the way he looked, you know, I was, I don't know, it, he was just, uh, uh, I don't know, a badass, pretty much. Um, you know, it's... uh I don't know. I don't know what to say. You know, I'm just a huge fan. of. I think it's more, I think honestly it's more Michael Myers than, you know, the movie itself, if that makes any kind of sense. Um, I'm just a big slasher, killer type fan. And I I honestly believe it's more more the killer himself than the actual movie, Um, if that makes any kind of sense.
0: So oh, did, yeah. you see, did you see Michael Myers before you saw Jason Voorhees?
4: No, no. Actually, I, I remember even younger than that uh, actually watching you know all the Friday the 13th films, um, all the Nightmare on Elm Street. So I think the first film I ever went to a theater was uh, Nightmare on Elm Street Part 4, I believe. Um, so I, I really, I knew about Freddy, I knew about Leatherface, I knew about Jason, I, I and I think honestly, them guys were a lot more. Um, uh, what's the correct word? You've seen them on a lot of magazines and billboards and posters and cereal boxes or whatever the hell. You know they were. You know, especially Freddy. I mean, he was all over the damn place. So I knew of them guys, but not really so much Michael Myers. You know, or you know his story or you know what what film he was a part of when I was younger. So it wasn't until my you know, early teens that I really got to watching, you know, the series and realized, you know, who he was from what series. And, um, so that that's kind of where it came from.
2: So after you, so you started with seeing five, and then, uh, so does did the first one strike a different chord with you than, than Yeah, five? um,
4: I think it's, I, don't, I think it's just uh. The introduction to him the the beginning of Michael Myers
1: sure yeah you
4: know the type of deal um, I guess in just kind of that order um, of the films so to say but uh, it, like part one will always be my, like I can only watch four and five you know part two you know so many times but part one never gets old I mean there's just something I don't know whether it's you know, Jamie Lee. I don't know if it's the mask in particular he wears that uh, you know I like so much, um, or just the way he you know presents himself or acts in the film. But uh, the original
1: will always be the best. Oh, for me, it's PJ Souls's boobies.
0: I knew it. <laughs> yeah, they're not bad.
2: <laughs> oh yeah, that was a big moment for all. everybody that age watching it it's just like well depending on what version you're
1: watching if they're like cropped out of the framing or not that's true yeah
4: and and I think going back you know after seeing 5 and there was one line in the original that I it not at the time you know John Carpenter writing it realized it but for me being a fan of the series and kind of the story loosely storyline of how he became, but when, after Michael Myers escaped, and uh, Dr. Sam Loomis, Donald Pleasance is talking to one of the people at, uh, what was the name of the facility he was at? Uh,
2: Smith's Grove? Is Smith's, that right? Yeah, Smith's Grove Asylum, yeah.
4: It was uh, You know, they're talking about how he, ex- how he escaped, and Loomis says, well, maybe someone here gave him lessons. And I think... <laughs> <laughs> realizing in later on in the series that's kind of maybe exactly why how he escaped, you know, and I think really part six kinda did that which everybody hates but I love, but that's I like, like a whole nother story. But um
1: Again which version?
4: Yeah, you know, I, I just liked, um you know I'm not a big fan of the you know, like some people are of not knowing is Scarier or not seeing you know which a lot of the the kills i mean you don't really you know see a lot of uh um you know how it's done or there's not a lot of you know blood and guts and everything yeah, it's in it's not original.
2: gratuitous at all yeah
4: right exactly and i you know i will let that one the original slide because you know it's the original but i, I am, i really am not a big fan of the what you don't you're here here scarier type <laughs> deal.
0: You're an asshole I'm guts. really not.
4: Yeah, I, I would like to see just some outrageous gore, but uh, <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. So. Where does everybody stand on part three? Nobody's mentioned it yet. I love it.
4: I, I love it. I, I mean, obviously, I just wish it wasn't own Halloween three, but um, I, I really do like it. And Michael Myers is in it for a brief second. Yep. On the what is it in the bar um, when he's watching television? The, yeah,
2: and he asked the, him to turn the channel. The
4: trailer for the Hollywood <laughs> first one comes up. I thought that was.
2: Yeah. Nice. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I like part three. I like. I mean, there's something in all of them. There's something that works in every one of those films. And yeah. I, 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 I agree. I with
4: like. I, I like with you know, like the sequels like Halloween 4 and 5 and 6, that they give, I I really thought they, that Halloween feel, that Halloween spirit, you know, the trick-or-treaters and outside, you know, I I really, you know, that's something I I like, the atmosphere, and I thought, especially part 4, I thought did a really good job at that.
1: It just brings back all those, like, feelings of Halloween when you watch those movies. Absolutely. Yes, it, yeah, that would be the best way to put it. Absolutely. Absolutely.
2: It's, it was such an important day of the year. As, as a kid, it was like the day when the, when the adults were forced out of our world, in a way, yeah. and it became about being a kid, and it became about freedom, because you were free to roam around, and you could not only do that, but you could put on whatever disguise you want and become whatever you want for a night and it was totally socially acceptable and everyone was there with you and you know celebrating the same kinds of things and there isn't anything else throughout the year there's no other holiday that comes close to that because ultimately they all end up being about something more something bigger something else but something commercial yeah Halloween is, is the one thing that remains in the hands of children. And I think that's wonderful, and I think that that we all step back into that every time we watch something like this.
1: And what what scares me is I think society as a whole forgets that and puts too too much emphasis on the uh, the darker side of Halloween. You know, because I don't know, I just as a father now and taking my kids out trick or treating, and maybe it's just because I'm a an an adult. Even though I still Ish. I still dress <laughs> I still dress up and stuff, you know. But it just doesn't doesn't have the same vibe as it did when I was a kid. Because when I was a kid, the streets were I mean, it was it was like stereotype, you know, shot from the movie Halloween, where kids were litter were, were all over the streets.
2: Yeah, me too. Going from
1: house to house, you you do that where I live now, and there's like you, you know, you gotta walk several blocks before you see another kid walking around. And it was dark still.
3: When I at some point when I was a kid, they stopped doing Halloween when it got too dark. Oh yeah. And and at the beginning of it, when I used to do it when I was when I was real young, it would stay dark as you're doing it, and that would made it cool because you're a little kid and you get to stay out late <laughs> and you're getting candy and stuff and you're dressed up like the Stay buff Marshmallow Man or yeah, something. Yeah, for sure. Yeah.
0: I want to see those and pictures. And then
3: it, it all changed. I have those pictures. Oh. It's not as good as it's not as good as uh, Zoe. As the
1: the toilet stroller, that was the <laughs> best Halloween costume ever. But yeah, yeah, it was the same thing for me when I was a kid. Like it, I mean, it felt like that was like the one night I got to go hang out with my hang out with my friends and just roam the streets mm-hmm. at all hours of the night. You know. Yeah. And it and it was and it was socially acceptable back then. You know, there wasn't this like, oh, don't go to that house because you don't know those people. There might be razor blades in the apple, or, or you know the whole you know, Halloween's such a paganistic holiday. You know, you know, my kids aren't. I'm gonna let not let my kids celebrate it or whatever. And that's bull. I mean, it's just it's just one big kid party, and that's what it is.
2: Yeah, that's uh, my first introduction to Halloween was actually Halloween two after trick-or-treating at a friend's house one night. So oh. I experienced it for the first time on Halloween. Oh, fun. Yeah. And it was, it, you know, it's, it's one of those things that I'll, I'll never, ever forget anything about that evening. And it was, it was really something. And I was hooked too. Same as, as you, Stephen, you know, there was just something yeah. about it. And these characters and all these series, all these things that we're talking about, I mean, pretty much all the films that I think we're all going to discuss are built around a character, and that's what brings you back and Michael is definitely that you know we're we're not making toys of like of Jamie we're not making <laughs> right. toys of Lori or anything like that we're making toys of Michael and he he's definitely the draw
4: yeah absolutely and you know it's, it's my collection is ridiculous of Michael Myers memorabilia i mean it's i've got every damn thing you can imagine Michael Myers <laughs> so it's a common thread between.
3: We're not going to talk about Rob Zombies Halloween. Or anything? I wondered if Joe was going to. I'm joking. I'm not going to keep bringing up remakes.
0: We're
4: going to move on, right?
1: <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, maybe.
1: <laughs> maybe we should
3: move Justin, on. Dustin, just so. burn some bridges right here. I think. Let's talk about about, about Rob Zombies Halloween.
4: It, it, uh, okay. Yeah. Let's. Yeah. Let's discuss that. For oh, me. here we go. <laughs> no.
3: Hey, like, I'm sorry. If
4: anyone uh, <laughs> knows the correct story with this, Justin or anybody, like help me out here. Um, I heard a lot when Rob Zombie made Halloween that, like a year before that, he was quoted as saying, you know, talking bad about the people who were doing remakes. Like, you don't know why the
3: I heard that were too. Doing it. Yeah, I heard that too.
4: Is, is there any truth to this? Does, does anyone know any more about this? But I, I. Remember, you know, I think it was 2007 or 2006 or something that he said this, you know, quoted in a magazine or such that, you know, he was bashing people who were doing remakes.
3: When he can get money for a remake and yet he can't get money to do the movies that he wants to do, it's a safe bet to remake Halloween, you know. And they're just going down a list of directors that they want to do it and he pops up and he can't get funding for another devil's rejects or any of that. So yeah, he I'd see how he would do it and if he's a fan of it, but at the same time I heard him say that too, talking bad about remakes.
1: Right. I think he's a lot like Kevin Smith where he doesn't have he doesn't have a um publicist to uh always by his side telling him not to say (laughs) things. Yeah. Because they just say the things that pop in their head and how they're feeling at the moment. And, you know, everybody's opinions change. I'm Not, not that I'm really sticking up for, for anybody in this, but, uh, um, yeah, I'm just saying, you know, he probably opened his mouth without really thinking it through, and, you know, things change, and, you know, here's some money to make a movie, all right, well, I'll do Halloween.
2: My thing with all this, and I've, is that a lot of people think that it just boils down to money. And as all of us on this phone right now know, making a movie isn't easy. No one gets into it for an easy ride or a quick paycheck or anything like that. And the and I found myself defending Dark Shadows online to the famous monsters fans, you know, some people that are out there that are really up in arms about this remake. And I'm like, look, you know, they're, they're really critical of Tim Burton and you know why he's in the liberties that he's taking with some of the remakes and re re envisioning or however, however you want to describe it of certain titles. And it's like, just imagine somebody handing you like, put yourself back when you were a kid and someone said, all right, you now can do what you'd like with Halloween. Or, I mean, it's like basically being given the keys to the kingdom that you've always wanted to be a part of in a way and, and, you know, having a chance to put your stamp on it. And so um, I don't I mean i' I'm, I'm, I can't speak to anything Rob said before the film came out, but you know things do change with people and attitudes change and maybe who knows I'm mean, just speculating maybe he saw the quality of something like the chainsaw remake and people were really open to that type of thing after that film. I think that was really sort of the watershed moment in the remake movement was when the chainsaw uh, remake came out boo boo. <laughs> I agree, though. I totally, totally. <laughs> but, that's yeah, what started that, it all. That's, oh that's, yeah, that's like when that the was. dam broke on this stuff. Oh yeah, and, that was and the big remake. It, it was, and and Halloween is something that I was always so defensive of, and it's one that I said, God, if anybody ever remakes this, I'm just going to boycott it. But then I, when it came, when it came time, as the film was in production, I'm like, God, why you know why am I being so stubborn about this? I love Halloween. I don't love. I don't necessarily love. You know, I can't be uh, I can't discriminate against a director because the whole series is with different directors I can't discriminate against someone's vision because the whole series has been different people's visions Michael's different in every single film his look the way he acts the way he kills people the relationships in every film are different the backstory with him has changed in almost every entry in the series it's a so when people are jumping on top of Rob for what he did for his two films you know, it's like, well, it's, it's just another – it's another Halloween film. And his his great struggle with the first one was – It was? Yeah, it was just <laughs> – well, it, it, it's, it's a means. film in the franchise that, I mean – If it wasn't a remake, would you have liked it? Would I have liked it?
3: Would, would any, and Steven, if it, was, if it wasn't a remake
2: and it was a sequel – would you would you have liked it? With the tone that he it, took and the violence and everything, if, if it picked up after like resurrection or eight or whatever, would you have been more open to it?
4: Um they would he would have had to somehow, some way tied in Resurrection and H two O with the rest of the films. Fuck Kevin Williamson or whatever the hell his name is.
3: <laughs>
4: uh, Richburn, if, if if he was able come to somehow in tie in all of these films, then I would have been ecstatic about it because that's what I wanted after H two O came out. Like it just, it just absolutely pissed me off when H two O came out and they completely fucking ignored what happened in four, five, and six. Like it just, it was a slap in the face to a lot of people that you know, made them films in my opinion. And I I don't know. Um, I, I don't I don't know. I'm just
1: frustrated right now. Well I can I can argue two sides of the coin on this. Like I think I think Justin was on to something with like all of us who are fans, Uber fans, and all of us that actually, you know, you know, we make movies, if we were given the chance to to play in the sandbox of our favorite franchise we would do it in a heartbeat. You know, all of us have sat down and fantasized of what our fan film would be of the Halloween series or George Romero's dead series, or whatever. Um, You do it in a heartbeat. I see. I don't, I don't think I would, I I, I would, I would feel like I'm intruding. Well, I'd rather, I'd rather, I would rather like Steven, I would rather it be a sequel than doing a flat out remake, but, but we've all sat and fantasized on what our version, what our movie version of of the film from that franchise would be. But on on the other side of the coin of that, what I what I think um is part of Steven's frustration because it's my frustration with remakes, other than the fact of like come on please, you know, let's let's get some original ideas out there and also quit um thinking less of the studio, of the uh of the American audience by thinking that they won't come to a movie unless it has some other movie's name on the title. But beyond that, for me, the problem with remakes is like to me that's the nail in the coffin of the franchise because now logically we are not going to see the movie that follows Halloween 6. We're not going to be able to follow that yeah. storyline anymore. Yeah. That storyline is now dead because they've they've changed things and it would be totally unmarketable to go back and say here's Halloween 7.
2: You know? let me let me I see yeah, I totally agree with that but one of the interesting things about this series in particular is that is it has sections. So 1 and 2 are basically their own thing. And then there's 3. And then there's 4 through 6, I guess you could say. at certainly 4 and 5, but 4 through 6 are kind of their own little story. And then there's H2O and Resurrection. And then there's Rob's film. So the fans are always it's it's similar in music where like the current album from a band is almost never as good as whatever came right before it and th- so this current album then will be cool once the next album comes out and isn't as good as what this album is and so fans were accepting of four five and six they've grown to embrace them at the time four was embraced because michael came back then five was just hated you know still polls show that fans like five is the least favorite in the series and
1: I don't get that. Nope.
2: Yeah, it's weird. But um so it's just interesting. I mean, like you know, 2 was essentially ignored in some aspects in 4.
4: No, and, not at all. It's
2: not totally. off with
4: Michael Myers in a bed where they're talking about <laughs> 10 years prior to that. He was bur- he was burned up in an explosion in the hospital.
2: Right. But how did how did how did Loomis survive? Here we go.
4: How did Loomis survive? He-
2: I don't know. Some- See, there you go. There's there's <laughs> one flaw on it right there. And 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 the second film, set up. I mean, if we're talking about fans buying into things, the, the second film set the entire series on a course with on on a one note on, on like a, a similar note course with the family tie. What was so interesting about the original, I think, was that you had no idea about the motivation of Michael. There was, that's what was so terrifying about it. And even as a kid watching the second one, not really paying attention to the dialogue, more just shocked at what I was seeing. It was just about Michael terrorizing these people in this hospital. And you know, then I go back and see the first one after that and it was even worse, You know, it was even more horrifying for me. But it was all because it didn't make sense and it was, it was just a guy, it was a very, this could happen in real life type scenario. You didn't know the motivation behind it, but then as soon as they threw the family thing in there, Then that was the thread that sort of, you know, ran through everything else in the series and in a way kind of demystified Michael Myers a little bit, in my opinion. I mean, but we grew to accept it is what I'm trying to say, is that this very huge thing that completely changed the original film that we all treasure is now accepted by fans. So anyway.
1: Awesome. Awesome sauce. We do, we got to we got to move on we everyone still has gotta <laughs> yeah. we, or, sponsors, yeah. Yeah, we got to take a commercial break. We do our have sponsors yet. here's got sponsors? We're from our sponsor. <laughs> so, Justin, you have the floor. What's your favorite film?
2: Well, it's really hard to say because I I've never been able to answer this question with just one film, but for the sake of our discussion here, I'm going to say Carpenter's the thing. Yeah. Back to Back Carpenter. Yeah. I mean, Halloween is I mean, it's all one I mean, in fact, everything on this list would absolutely be in my argument against picking just one. But <laughs> uh, but the thing was so revolutionary, and it was it was an incredible film to take in. It was it attacked all your senses just about. And um, one of the most amazing things about it is that it introduced you as an audience to like the farthest reaches of fantasy and effects. And within the confines of a very claustrophobic, tense story about isolation, distrust, and paranoia, and it it just is this real potent cocktail that I don't think has ever been topped. And I'm a huge fan of the original as well. You know, the dialogue in that thing is just amazing, and the pacing in it. But this is a completely different beast. Here's another example of a remake. This is now one of the most heralded films in all of cinema, let alone horror, and it's a remake. So, yeah. And and, and at the time when it came out, what makes the story even more interesting is the fact that it did com- completely derail Carpenter's career at the time. In fact, the studio let him go after after it performed so poorly. Yeah, he had and like so a what a three-picture deal or something like
1: that. Yeah, and they and dropped the, him after this. Yeah, just completely dropped him. Yeah. yeah. And, well, uh, it makes
0: sense because he cast Kurt Russell. Oh, no, my you God. You son of a
1: bitch.
3: <laughs> you son of a bitch.
0: Isn't it obvious, guys? Yeah. Man,
3: here we
1: go. Here
3: <laughs> we go. To, oh, I'm not going to. I'm not going to. You can keep going, Justin. I'm not going to go into that yet. Yeah. <laughs> You heard, yeah, yeah, heard like... yet? I heard yet. yeah I have to talk about Kurt Russell at some point during this conversation.
2: <laughs> As a kid, in, in terms of sci-fi, I had seen black and white stuff that I used to, you know, see on uh, television on like Saturday afternoons or whatever, and I, or like we had a horror sh- host show in Cedar Rapids um, that had that showed a lot of this classic stuff. But that was really the extent of my exposure to sci-fi. The thing was the first film as an aware viewer to push me into that realm of like there's really cool stuff here explore this and I I have yet to top this experience I guess it's like the junkie who is always chasing the dragon you know I have yet to see any film in at least in the sci-fi realm including films that everyone loves like aliens and all of that that comes close to touching the thing and I think it's because this is more of a, a study of these human beings and and you know, combating something that's completely unseen, that in turn turns them not only against each other but almost against themselves. You learn to distrust yourself in that environment. You're like, I don't know if it's me. I don't know if I'm the one doing this. And so, I think it's a masterstroke for John. I think that it rightfully holds the the throne for one of the most influential films of all time. Like, I mean, he's done it again and again. Throughout his career, with big trouble in Little China, with the thing with Halloween, I mean, the guy Ghost is a revolution. Mars. He's a revolution.
4: What's that? Ghost of Mars. Sorry. Yeah, they, no. They, they, yeah. <laughs> the Ward.
2: So, I mean, I could just I, I could just go on about the making of the film and the bottine's effects in it, and but God, I mean, I'm sure we'd all agree that it this is this is one that changed it for a lot of people, changed the concept of cinema.
1: So, okay, I, I'm putting a question out there on the table. What what do you think happened? Like this movie came out in 1982, bombed big time, almost completely 100% ruined his career, and he did some great movies after that, but it always just felt like he was trying to catch back up after that. You know, it really feels feels like that we may have missed out on probably some great John Carpenter material if he still had that three-picture deal. But, and and we do you all think it know has
3: something to do with the remake like the fact that remakes are kind of panned now, were they that much worse
2: then that there's a remake of a classic and he's making it you That's think- exactly it, Joe. that's exactly why. And Cinema Fantastique ran an article that basically made the case that he defiled the Holy Grail of Sci-fi, not just in the original film, but also in the short story that it's based on, which is you know uh, revered as, as one of the classics. And so everyone is so resistant to this, especially with the effects that were at the time. No one had seen this before. Oh, so it's good. just like when, audience went, when audiences went and saw Halloween for the first time. No one knew what a slasher film was. We look back now and go Black Christmas. We go whatever, whatever. At the time, <clears throat> Halloween is what did this. And the thing is what did the effects.
1: It's uh-huh. what did
2: the over-the-top and all this. It was a big picture. It was way bigger than its budget. Totally belied what they spent to make the thing. Mm-hmm. And I think – yeah.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, but why did Halloween work and the thing didn't work? I mean, I, I get the whole remake thing, you know, but I just the you know in 1982 the people that were going to see movies like The Thing were you know you know teenagers, young adults, one people who probably didn't have a whole lot of reference of the original thing. Now I know also E.T. came out around the same time, and we know which blew. You know, blue box office records, whatever, blah 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 blue. But uh, um, and so you got two alien movies around the same time. One's a happy, cute little alien. The other one's just this dark, you know, depressing, unhappy ending movie. And I don't know. We're just audiences not ready for that type of material at the time. That probably had something to do with it too. I mean, it, whatever comes around
3: at that time, if it's not the flavor of the month, then it falls flat. Or is that so month? that,
0: that more fuel of your Spielberg hatred.
1: <laughs> my Spielberg hatred? No, mine. Like, no, I, I was like, I don't I don't hate Spielberg. I Oh, we're not gonna get into my Spielberg feelings right now. But um yeah. <laughs> No, but like I don't know. It's like it's nineteen eighty two. People are still coming off of disco. I mean like things, you know people go see uplifting happy movies, I guess, around this time. I mean that that's my assumption,
2: maybe. I, I this came out the same year as E. T. actually. Yes, and and so it, what happened was that the film, it, it, I don't think it was right for audiences just in its scope, in and the in the overall tone of it, and it was promoted with a kind of a mysterious ad campaign, and um, I just, it's hard to put your finger on, it. and even John, he admits, he's like, I, I have no idea what happened, I don't know. you know that it was a movie salsa set in winter that or you know at the pole that came out in the middle of summer it was released in june actually the beginning of summer and so it's the timing was off with that maybe uh but he was really confused because he came out of it feeling like god you know i put my all into this and i really thought i made something great and then it just crushed him when no one did it but mike you're sort of suggesting that the films that followed this Never really this in Halloween and I guess Precinct and no 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 no. Else. I'm not suggesting
1: that he didn't still do good stuff. I mean mm-hmm. we're, we're looking at his IMDb page right now. Christine f- followed it, which is a great movie. Starman, great Big movie. Trouble China. Big Trouble in Little China, yeah. awesome. Yeah. Prince of Darkness, they <laughs> they live. But even even though I love movies like Prince of Darkness and They Live, it kind of feels like things are tapering off. Well, pretty much. You know, I'm going to cite on Jason with this one. Pretty much after Starman, things kind of seemed to taper off for him. And I don't know. It just mm-hmm. kind of feels like, even though I still love those movies, don't get me wrong. Um, so you're saying but, Big Trouble of China is after Starman. You're saying that tapered off? Yeah, I don't think it was as strong – I don't think it was his best work. Let's put it that way. See, I, I – I, I think it is his best work. <laughs> I
3: love that movie, and the, I the, the,
0: but Joe, how the, is that possible? Kurt Russell's in it. <laughs> here
3: we go. The the, the the thing about like Big Trouble in China is that's another one that that they said pulled really well, and they thought it was just going to be this greatest hit, and all of a sudden it came out and it just flopped, and they didn't understand it. Well, part of it is they didn't know how to market it. It's a very odd movie to market. Oh, absolutely. But, I don't think he started tapering off. I, I, you know, They Live, it kind of felt like it was a different, but it's still, that gets more and more popular with every year They Live does. I hear more and more people talk. Well, by I, think, of- I,
2: I, I think Mouth of Madness was the first one where I was like, this doesn't feel as much like a, like a film from John. And then Village of the Damned and Escape yeah. from L.A. was a bit of a step sort of back into where he sure. was before. That felt more like a Carpenter film and vampires following soon thereafter was sort of similar i mean i i really think that his films have a feel to them i mean if you want to compare it to spielberg or whatever but he does have a very distinct feel and look and honestly i think that all changed when he got up to like like uh what was that um well the ward for example his most recent one which doesn't look at all like a carpenter film yeah not you know um but I mean, do
3: you think part of that is him just getting worn down with uh with uh, it's like he can't have instant uh gratification for his movies they don't find audiences until 10 20 years later and so it's one of those things where first you don't get the financing if you're not making money right away and then second is oh, okay you you put your heart into something all of a sudden where's the fans and and they just pan it And then how hard is it to put your heart into your next work or your next work?
1: Well, it's a great topic of discussion because you could say this about almost every great classic horror movie director. Mm -hmm. You know, George Romero, uh, Toby Hooper, uh, John Carpenter, uh, even Wes Craven, um, you know, has had some recent turds.
2: And uh, so what happens, you know? I think there's something organic that comes with the first few pictures for anybody. And I've always drawn the analogy back to music. Usually the first album or the second album, mostly the first is the best from a band because it's been fermenting for years or certainly at least months. You know, it's like it's the culmination of years of dreams and vision and ambition. And by the time you're in picture nine, 10, 11, you you are inevitably going to fall into certain habits Of some things and so that you know that that sort of by your seat of your pants you know just running on instinct as opposed to habit i think is is part of what changes for these guys and you know everyone's subjected to an evolution over time but that's why you look at chainsaw you look at halloween these are considered the classics from these directors that doesn't mean that what they made after that necessarily wasn't pure of them it's just wasn't as pure in my opinion
3: yeah, I remember uh seeing the thing to me the first time it was uh that was probably the first real horror movie I saw when I was way too young and uh, it was one of those it was it was one of those things where where I used to collect VHS and obviously you know I'm collecting Kurt Russell movies as a kid Waste of and, time. Yeah, <laughs> and so I would I would go and I I'd, I'd go to the Walmart and there's used cars and I would talk my mom. Yeah, into used that cars. Way too young. And there's another movie that that came out and that flopped and it did poor. And the reason it did poor isn't because it wasn't funny or it wasn't good. It was because it followed airplane. Yeah. And, and when it's following mm-hmm. airplane, how can you how can you uh, maintain? And that's kind of maybe that's yeah, a completely that's part different of style of humor. Yeah, it is. It's more adult than well, I guess airplane. Yeah, but it's satire. I, I don't know.
0: That's why all but, movies uh, just need to stop being judged uh, on their first weekend and give yeah. every movie
1: ten years or something before we decide on if they're good or not. I'll t- yeah. I'll tell me about it. Movies like freaking like. Even movies like Star Wars or whatever could could uh, if they were re- be released today for the first time would probably be considered a flop on that be- just because of whatever their opening weekend is.
2: Yeah, Halloween too. They, they yeah. opened up. Mm-hmm. It opened up as nothing, and it was just word of mouth. And like if you look up the the stats on its box office in its first run, you're not going to find them because there really weren't any. It was like piecemeal theaters here and there, it and it was, grew. It, 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 it was yeah. It, it grew in a very organic way that can't really happen now.
1: And that's what the problem is with today—like that movies aren't given a chance to really prove themselves in the theater anymore. Mm-hmm. It's right. always just that first weekend.
3: But I mean, what are the movies that last though? The movies that do real well in the first weekend aren't typically the movies we're still talking about ten years later.
2: You're absolutely right. You're absolutely yeah. right. That's how all of John's films are. I'm sure. Yeah, and that's
3: what's—and uh, that—and I, I understand what you're saying, Mike. I think of all the things that we missed that he could have done think of you know and and that that thinking about that really sucks mm-hmm. he could have done so many more movies and all of his movies seemed to be different no matter what genre he was working in but they they had that same you knew it was a carpenter film but yeah. it was just yeah. it had that i don't know it is depressing thinking about that
1: well, awesome. I'm glad I brought the show down. That's
3: great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, but No, like, okay. I, I would go to the Walmart, and my, my mom would say, or I'd say, hey, Kurt Russell's in this. Can I get it? And she got the thing for me, and <laughs> I went home and watched it that night, and it wasn't like, I went home watch watched used cars, and it was the greatest thing for a little kid, yeah. seeing all the boots and stuff. Mm-hmm. You go <laughs> watch a thing, and all of a sudden,
0: it's, oh, my God. There isn't even a girl in this. No, there are no girls in this.
3: Yeah. No, I, I, it, I love the film. I, it, it gets better and better, and what's cool about it is every time I watch it, I don't remember who's the thing. That's
0: Oh, that's cool. Oh, yeah. Yeah. When we watched it this winter, me too, I was just like, wait, which, wait, which? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Okay, so moving on. Uh, Jason, what is your all-time favorite horror movie? Well,
0: it's not only my all-time favorite. It's probably the best horror movie oh ever God. made, Here ever. It's <laughs> <laughs> the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the, like we all have to do, is say the, the original. original 1974 Toby Hooper classic.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: Put your chainsaw away. We're doing a podcast. Oh, sorry. <laughs> we didn't even work that out. Well, <laughs> so- yeah, you know. So you got to see still, still laughing. All okay, right, you were on. saying, you were saying. Yeah, moving on.
2: <laughs> next okay, movie? Next, okay. Oh, what about it? I Kurt, just... What? Go ahead, continue.
0: Kurt Russell's not in it, so it can't be that good.
2: Can't be that good.
0: Hey, that might be what makes it better than your
1: movie.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Wait. I just love it. You guys know there's uh, not a lot of movies like this movie as far as the, the indie and the grain. You know, it's uh, I mean, I guess it's it kind of, well, it didn't do what Halloween did but as far as growing, but you know, it was definitely a, a small, small independent film that over the years have really latched on to people
3: it had a definite mystique about it more than halloween or because halloween now i know halloween wasn't as mark you know it wasn't as pop culture y as freddy and and jason but what was cool about texas is uh it was underground it wasn't in my video store everybody talked about it my first Exposure to this was Matthew McConaughey's version before oh. I even saw the. Film. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. So sorry. <laughs> but it just made it just made the, the the actual movie feel more like a documentary to me. Like it was more totally. like they were
2: shooting it, and that's what was really cool and creepy about this film. I I, I remember being my first exposure to it. Actually, was a kid named Jason on the playground. And we were on the swings, and I'll never forget this experience where we're sitting there, and he's like – because his dad or his mom's boyfriend or whoever collected horror films, and, and, and he, would, he was always telling me about him. And this is back in the days when I was sneaking Fango into school, and I had a buddy, Matt, who hey. subscribed, and he'd pass his old issues on to me. And you know, even if it was just for a day or two, I'd get to sort of camera on on in my trapper keeper and take a peek. And so I was like you know, just thirsty for anything horror. And Jason, he's like, I got this thing. This chainsaw massacre, and you you have to see it. it's like the most disgusting thing I've ever seen, and we we're on the swings and and i and he told me the story of the film, and even just hearing the story behind it had me just terrified <laughs> and and then when I finally stayed over at his house and watched it, uh I felt like I needed a shower afterwards. Oh, it was yeah. just such a gross, horrible, morose. Feeling after experiencing, it was just such a visceral reaction that I had to it. I and I don't think I've ever had that since.
3: And you guys showered together? Is that what you're exactly. saying? <laughs> That's,
2: that have been what I heard. I blank out after. Oh, okay, know.
0: but seriously, mm-hmm. is there a movie that makes you feel more hot? That and bothered. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Are
1: we still I mean, talking
0: about Justin just in the shower? <laughs> just like Halloween <laughs> gives you that that fall leaves falling cool breeze feeling just watching chainsaw is like you just
1: start sweating watching it yeah yeah and no other film especially at that time no other film really tries so hard to really put you in in the seat of of um sally there during the dinner scene like with with his choice of of you can't really say music, whatever whatever those grinding noises were, um and then like this this is the bizarre camera shots, like extreme close up on the eyeball and and just how like the conversation around the table is is barely audible because there's all this massive noise, and just everything is just so crazy you're just watching this massive craziness. there's really not a lot of craziness going around that table, you're just kind of like woo. And whatever, um, yeah, but isn't much happening. But no, nah, isn't much happening. But you are just you're just like your heart's racing, Somebody and it's stop. just like you feel stop. like you're tied to that chair.
2: No, I agree. I mean, you really feel that documentary feel that you mentioned was. It, I, I absolutely agree that in most film experiences, you feel like you're watching a movie. But with Chainsaw, that was maybe the first time that I ever felt like I was sitting there bearing witness to like something horrible happening in front of me. Something you're not supposed to be watching. Yeah. 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 Almost like a snuff film. Yeah. And the the, the fact that they did use sort of found items for their score, you know, banging on pans and stuff like that. I mean, it it was all of the earth and it feels it's a very earthy movie because the house is all run down and sort of sinking, settling into the earth. And it's all about meat and they, they, they're burying in the cars kind of outside and people's belongings are all like hanging in the trees. It's like this gr- this horrible family grew out of the earth to uh, – I don't know. It, it just feels dirty and dry and grimy.
3: Yeah, and as a kid, like, I mean, the the as it gets older and, and you start to hear it based on true events and all this stuff that mm-hmm. as you actually find out what it's really based on, it, it, it's not. At all, but it, all that builds to the mystique of what this movie is. So by the time you actually see it, you've heard about it for so long. At least I had that it it was it was that much uh, cooler to watch because it was it was like oh they documented this murder that was you know these <laughs> killings that were going on. It was it's a it was a really cool indie indie horror film, if not the first. Indie indie horror film.
0: Totally, I, I'm like I I fully believe that the Blair Witch Project used the used Chainsaw as like 90 percent of their motivation and like stole from it completely. It's now, you know I, that
1: word of mouth. I disagree. Legend of Boggy Creek is where they stole. Oh,
0: whatever. But even the even the way it opens with the credits and or it ends and uh, have been pretty influential. In the way people make movies nowadays,
3: I, I enjoy you know the second one. I enjoy.
1: I, I oh, good. Like, yeah. I was going
3: to ask. I was going to. I like it. having the director come on and, and and continue stuff. That's why I have a problem with. I like you know Halloween, but I I, I you wonder what it could have been had Carpenter continued with it, and, and I that's why I I like seeing the director continue on with this story and his vision, and that's what was and and chainsaw massacre 2 is totally different totally different than the first
1: one yeah well it's a, it's it's a parody of the first one really i mean it's a satire of the first movie um i mean it's it's done for comedy and i love the second one and like when i was younger i actually liked the second one more than the first one and i didn't know why at the time but i realized now in molder it's because you know i i have a i have a flavor for comedy and and uh that one is is played for comedy, and I just love seeing those those characters, you know, kind of slapsticky, <laughs> in a way, in a very dark way.
2: Yeah, Hooper was given a budget for that one. You know, he made the first film for I don't know, you know, under uh, like hundred thousand bucks or whatever. And the second one he made for like five million dollars, I think, or something like how that. How much? And, how much was the first one made for? Eighty-three thousand. Yeah. Eighty-three thousand, wow. And the second one was. I think about like five or ten, I don't know what it was, like five million or something. But it was like a tremendous budget for him. And he created this playground. And that's what was so fun about that one is that it was all the madness from the first one sort of polished up a little bit and turned into almost like. Amplified and put on the road. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But you could tell that it had absorbed some Freddy. Oh yeah. And you could see that it was a bit of a product of its time while staying true to like this weird story that he created in the first one. And that's the messed up thing about this series, is that every film is basically a remake. Yeah, there's not been one direct sequel, a sequel to the to a previous film. Everyone has a dinner scene. Everyone <laughs> has you know, like like there's just these it's like Going in and buying a set of Legos and you're just buy the same set of Legos over and over again, but in different colors, kind of. I mean it's like the same pieces are there that you're just seeing it in a different vision. That being said, I think this the third one is awesome.
1: Love it. I love the third one a lot too,
0: yeah. But there's yeah, no continuity between any of the films. No.
2: They'll have a completely different feel, the,
1: but there's little subtlety continuity things like in, in, for, you know from from two from one to two uh, you know Toby Hooper's supposed to be the father of of um, Sally and and Franklin even though their last names are different if anybody ever caught that um, which again just goes to show part two is a comedy because um, Toby Hooper's name his nickname was Lefty so everybody called him Lefty and his last name was Enright. So it was lefty and right. Anyway, so um, <clears throat> see why I love part two? Anyway, uh, <laughs> uh, and then you know they're carrying around that corpse of a previous brother in part two, which is supposed to be the hitchhiker from part one. Then you have in part three, you have you have grandpa show up, because grandpa was in the previous two, but this right. time grandpa's dead. Yeah. And and um, Leatherface walks with that brace which I was assuming was supposed to represent when he cut his yeah, no, own leg one. in part one. Yeah, sure. But yet it's then so they subtle, totally yeah. changed the, dyma- the the dynamics of the family by adding all these other other family members, you know, characters from Lord of the Rings. and. <laughs> um,
2: but they tried to make the same, you know, in a way they sort of recreated the same family members over and over again. There's the crazy possibly. one. There's the like the fatherly kind of figure and even up to you know next generation they still had the same kind of a setup essentially where it's the same type of characters just someone else stepping into the (laughs) can we please not talk about next but i love
0: i love how uh this series unlike others kind of made that direct correlation to ed gein and serial killers Mm -hmm. that is real you know and I mean, that was a lot of the mythos between things you heard before you saw Chainsaw.
2: Yeah, Yeah. people confuse the facts with the films. Like, you think about them one and the same interchangeably. And that's also interesting that, you know, going back to Stephen's case on Michael, Leatherface is the draw, okay? The closest we come in Chainsaw to someone else being the draw's chop top in terms of someone else who's, like, a focal Uh point in the films. But Leatherface... He kind of becomes more Gene as the series goes on. Sure. I mean, mm-hmm. he, and by the time you land on the doorstep of Next Generation, he's full on cross dressing, putting lipstick on, <laughs> which he did in the original film too. They just don't show it in the in the cut that yeah, we no. know. Yeah. But you know, I mean, it's it, and it's weird that they did try Jason to remain so close to that character, at least in the, the sort of more garish aspects, not the homely little old man, but yeah, yeah.
0: But I thought it was neat that. You know, for because I assume we all went through a, a serial killer phase growing up too, of just getting into that and researching that. And I this well, movie. You, you,
3: re, you researched all the other movies that were influenced by Ed Gein, and they didn't even know did he kill just one person. They don't really know. It's it's uh it, he dug up a lot of people and made lamps and all that crap. But sure. then you got Signs of the Lambs was yep. influenced by that Psycho. Yep. So you know, and then you know, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. But, yeah, my, my, yeah, definitely. Looking into that information was was what everybody did.
1: <laughs> my yeah, my obsession in the study of serial killers back in high school was borderline. <laughs> like if yeah, if I was doing like that in the, the school system today,
2: <laughs> <laughs> every search in the computer is like.
3: <laughs> it's more acceptable today because now there's your friendly serial killer on TV that everybody watches.
1: Dexter?
3: Yeah. I assume (laughs) he loves Dexter, right? Yeah. Or you love or hate Dexter.
1: But like my Trapper Keeper, going back to Trapper (laughs) Keepers, my Trapper Keeper had a picture of Ed Gein right on the front. No, it didn't. It did. I totally had a picture of Ed Gein (laughs) right next to my – I know, right? And it's way too late, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It got to the point where I was like, wait a minute. Why am I obsessing this much? I even scared myself at one point. I'm like, let's back off from this. But if, so anyway, I'm just going to change it, change
0: gears before, you know, with the segue of, you know, this is definitely an independent film. Uh I would say Joe's might even be more more of an independent film. If we want to move on to Joe's favorite movie. Oh Joe, what's yours? I was I was going to talk about my
3: trapper keeper for a while and say I had a
0: unicorn on mine.
3: Again, I don't <laughs>
0: doubt that. Joe, we all know that you had Kurt Russell on your trapper keeper.
4: <laughs>
0: but anyway, no, I didn't. And, know
3: that. Mm-hmm. I don't think I had a trapper keeper. My parents were poor, so eat that. <laughs> yeah, you probably. Uh... <laughs> no, uh, I, I would say the the movie that that uh, influenced me the most uh, was Evil Dead, the
0: original.
3: Woo! But but not when I say the original, I mean not. The, the second or the third I, I don't at this moment the remake has not come out so I can't say there's a remake so and I was at a festival recently and some guy was saying how he was influenced by evil dead 2 and how he wanted the evil dead something because all evil dead 2 is a remake of evil dead 1 and I wanted to get up and smack the kid and he's saying this at a horror festival, and all these people have to be Evil Dead fans, and Evil (laughs) Dead 2 is not a remake of Evil Dead 1, and Evil Dead 2, the reason they couldn't show anything from Evil Dead 1 was because they didn't have the rights to any of that stuff, so they had to quickly condense it, and just, I wanted to get up there and yell at the kid, but I couldn't, I was trying to be polite, and he was young and and stupid with the whole thing, but but no, I, I, uh, that was another, like, like, uh, Stephen said, with how he discovered Halloween backwards. I I discovered uh the Evil Dead franchise backwards. I, I saw Army of Darkness. Which oh wow brought me to oh, De- which brought me to Evil Dead Two, which brought me to Evil Dead. And just uh and, and when I saw Army of Darkness I loved it so much. And then I I will admit, you know, seeing Evil Dead two and Evil Dead One, I didn't I didn't they're different movies. They're different feels, and they get more comedic oh, than yeah. in the first one. And there's still comedy in the first one, too. Yeah, But it, but it's, it's just the, the, the look and the feel to these movies and the, the care of, of camera stuff. Another thing that pisses me off is when people say, Sam Raimi created the shaky cam. I can't stand shaky cam. He didn't create the shaky cam. He just did something. Different. He put a camera on a 2x4 and ran around with it. You know, he was, he was inventive and creative and just came up with these, these uh, in your face camera shots that the, the person running the camera was another character in the film, and it was so entertaining to watch. You know, and, and, and you could just see the progression of how good of a filmmaker he became throughout all of them. But what's neat about Evil Dead is, is not only it's a great film. It's 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 wonderfully put together, but the stories behind it, how they got it made, how they got it financed, you know, it, it's just such a it's such a, a neat, inspiring thing that every every independent independent movie I have seen in, in recent years, they have to have some kind of uh, throw out the Evil Dead just to say thank you for for showing us that we can all do it. It's going to be a lot of hard work. You know, and we know this by hearing your stories of how you made this film, but at the same time, you paved the way to have anybody make a horror film or a film in general, and and that's what was cool about Evil Dead.
0: Absolutely, here, here, brother. But,
3: I mean, that was that was my big biggest influence in in what got me to. Uh, want to make movies and stuff, knowing that, hey, this is going to suck. And then even after doing it, and I'm sure you guys can attest, after doing this, thinking it's going to suck really bad, not knowing how bad it actually was going to suck, <laughs> yeah. uh, doing it. But it made me appreciate all the movies that I used to not like, you know, because I've seen a lot of shit. And and now going back and thinking, you know, it's hard. It's hard doing it. Even the ones that seem like they don't care where they put the camera, they don't care how the actors deliver their lines. You know, the ones that are just thrown together crappily, Even even something somebody had to think of, and as bad as it could be, it's still it's still hard. It's really really hard.
1: Yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. anybody who anybody who does it, even if they do it really poorly, deserves some kudos for sticking it out. Because there's also, like, uh, 100,000 more people that don't even finish their project or or don't even get past the, like, I have a great idea for a script phase. Yeah. It's interesting how uh,
3: this <clears> the <throat> whole Sam Raimi's career, if there wasn't VHS, there'd be nothing.
1: If, 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 you know, Anchor Bay. Anchor Bay, yeah. Or, you know, Stephen King. Maybe. Yeah, that's, that's what I was going to say. If it wasn't for Stephen King, we'd have no Sam Raimi.
3: Yeah, and that was if hey, go back. to If it wasn't for Stanley Kubrick, we'd have no Sam Raimi because Stanley Kubrick made the 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 Shining, and Stephen King hated it. And then he saw <laughs> Evil Dead after that, and he just wanted to talk
2: about Evil Dead because he hated The Shining so much. <laughs> I love the recklessness of Evil Dead. That's one thing. Because at the time when I discovered, I was I was really into like punk and stuff like that, and it felt like a punk rock movie to me. Because it, there, it it is without regard to any kind of cinematic restraint, and even even how you were talking about with the camera, Joe, the the way that he used it, it was almost like it was a weapon. And he ran it through he, windows and shit. absolutely, absolutely. And so you, and, and, and in turn, the that audience became up, the it. weapon, and the, the audience became the spirit. You know, I mean, it it, it just was such a different like a roller coaster ride but not in the generic this summer blockbuster is a roller coaster but like holy shit i'm holding on because i have no idea what's going to happen next because there's you know the gloves are off and there's no rules here we're clearly just in this guy's mind and it's a madhouse
1: Yeah, it's like somebody uh, you know, somebody handed Sam Raimi the book and this is how you make a movie. Here's all the technical ways of making a movie. And Sam Raimi took a look at the cover and it's like, "Yeah, that's nice." Tosses it aside. To "Okay, let's make Evil Dead."
4: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now, I think about what 10, 12 years ago, Joe, I came across a bootleg copy. I think it was called Within the Woods.
3: Yeah. I yeah. believe
4: it was like a, a short film before Evil Dead was actually made. Yeah. Yeah. Um I, I don't remember too much about it. I, I I don't know if you can explain more about it if you know that, anything about it or
3: that was uh one of the uh, and I'm sure Mike probably crazy trivia guy, uh that was pretty much what they used to help finance. They would go to uh dentists and stuff. Oh yeah, money, and mm-hmm. they would show this, and sometimes they would get uh, kicked out of the room because it was appalling to them. And sometimes, <laughs> and, but that's how they have ultimately funded the film was 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 like a a small little production, you know, kind of like what we do now. And the difference then uh, then it, uh, it we didn't have the technology we have today. To anybody can pick up a camera and anybody's a camera guy and and there's a dime a dozen. There's just tons of shit to filter through to find something. They had to raise a significant amount of money, uh, you know, hundred thousand or three hundred thousand. I'm not really sure exactly. They had to raise a lot because they're shooting uh sixteen millimeter. I think they shot that on and And I think they shot within the woods on eight millimeter and this was their step up to sixteen i don't I don't know for sure but uh uh it, it was a lot harder then than it is now, but at the same time there wasn't as there, there there wasn't there was a lot of crap out there, but there's a lot more crap now it's a lot harder <laughs> to, to uh get discovered and get found but there's a lot of people
1: who are imitating Sam Raimi. There wasn't anybody imitating Sam Raimi back then because he is Sam Raimi. Yeah, and other than the Three Stooges, he really wasn't in- imitating anybody else.
0: Yeah. <clears throat> Evil Dead Two was the first time I heard the word unsequel. Unsequel.
2: I, I, I don't think I've ever heard that. What, what no. do they
0: mean? Well, I think oh, well, I think they were just saying it was not a remake, but it wasn't a sequel. <laughs> Either just... you
3: could take you could take Evil Dead Two, chop off that little bit at the beginning, and slap it right on the end of Evil Dead One and it'll flow.
1: You're absolutely right, but there's so much gold in that first part of Evil Dead Two well, though. I, I know. I know.
3: <laughs> but, but you could you could do that. But the 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 thing also is they, they didn't want to do Evil Dead Two. In Evil Dead One they just ass dies i mean that's that's what their yeah, initial yeah. concept was and then when other projects don't pan out then they were they're stuck doing this and and to, to, but it's not like they half-assed it just for money they they did a great job with it and i i've talked to people who who say i don't like evil dead i don't like evil dead 2 i love army darkness i've talked to people who say i don't like you know evil dead 2 my favorite but You know,
2: you gotta like them all. You really do. Oh, absolutely. I know 1 and 2 way better than Army of Darkness. I don't... Even to to this day, I I don't remember a whole lot about Army of Darkness, which I know is kind of a sin, but... It's always been the, yeah... I mean, I remember, like, the key stuff and certain sequences and, and of course, the skeleton army and all of that 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 really was very, very cool. And I I like the film. It's a lot of fun. But it's just those first two are the two that I just so treasure. Oh, I love them.
1: Well, absolutely. Well, like by the time we got to Army Darkness, it was it was really diluted down on the on the horror side and was definitely a lot more I mean it's just it's just a straight up comedy. Yeah. At right. that point. Which is fine. Which is oh, fine. It's a lot because, of fun. Yeah. Because it is a lot of fun. It's still very Sam Raimi. Mm-hmm. and you know you you know, the the more stupid stuff Ash does, the more you love him. And the story's cool, there just isn't a lot of story to it. And it's one of the few horror franchises, quote unquote horror franchises, where you talk about, you know, action figures and toys getting made. It's one of the few where it's the protagonist that the toys are getting made of. You know, Bruce or Ash is the is the quote unquote, is the star of those films. Yeah. Unlike Halloween, it's Michael Myers or Friday thirteenth, it's Jason, you know. <clears throat> and it's
3: also funny the the fact that like in the first one, I mean, if you've never seen the, the second or the third you see the first one watching that and and if you didn't know it's pretty unpredictable that that ash would be the one that that survived
1: exactly you know that, yeah. that
3: made it through because most of those you know it's always the female lead that that is the heroine that, that you know throughout the film that doesn't die and the boyfriends that dies. this is a guy that you wouldn't have predicted he's the one that makes it out of there yeah but unfortunately I saw in reverse so I knew he'd make a <laughs> <laughs> cheater <laughs> but just like the little things like just, I, I don't know it, it's just a, it's just a great it's a great
1: movie but since like you know obviously the horror through the series got less and less and the comedy got l- less and less dark and more just straight up slapstick within the three films would you have liked maybe the first one as much if you went from army darkness straight to the first one
3: I when I when I watched when I saw army darkness I loved it so much we had another friend come over and we watched it again straight through and then that was what really got me really into everything was army darkness and then I, I just started researching it and stuff, and the internet was real popular at that point. And every, you know, they really hit it right there that really sprung their careers. But I, and then I started looking back and went to Evil Dead 2. And I, to be honest, it, it was one of those things where I didn't like the first two as much as the third one at first, just because I expected it to be more slapsticky funny. Yeah. yeah. I was more shocked at. It was actually more horror, and then the first one's even more, I guess. Mm-hmm. But uh, as as I got more into wanting to make films and and getting into uh, the horror genre, you just get this, this greater and greater appreciation for Evil Dead. And by the time when I was making uh, uh, my movie, which is unnamed, cause you guys <laughs> can make, make fun of me for talking about it, I I... I here Leading, we go. You made you made a movie? <laughs> yeah, jerked. Leading up that summer, man, I, I put I put uh, Evil Dead on so many times. I watched Evil Dead probably uh 50 times that summer just preparing myself thinking thinking it's going to be a lot of hard work, but you know, I I could do it. I you know, and, and I reading about how he did it and all the things that went into every shot and and the the little things that he did to reference other things and and I was just amazed at that film that the the my love for it far outweighs Army of Darkness or Evil Dead Two and I've seen Evil Dead One now and Evil Dead Two way more than Army of Darkness I haven't seen Army of Darkness
1: probably in in ten or more years. Nice, yeah,
0: same here. Probably. Interesting,
1: yeah. Okay, real quick thing on Army Darkness though. Um, how many people on this podcast has seen both endings?
0: Everybody,
3: I assume. Yeah. I would
1: assume so too. Okay, which one do you like better? St.
3: Army's original ending or the studio's ending? Yeah,
1: which one? It's. it's
3: I saw the studio ending and I love the studio ending, and I like. I, I think it fits the character more. Like he said, having him pluck up. There, but I, yeah. I, I I I like them both, to be
1: honest. They are both great. Don't get me wrong. I I personally am more of a fan of of the original ending because it's an unhappy ending. It does have a nice lead in for a fourth Evil Dead, but at the same time, it's unhappy. But it's hilarious because it is an yeah. Ash. It's an Ash thing. That was something that Ash would. Because if if Ash wasn't a complete idiot, he wouldn't have gotten any of this mess in the first place. <laughs> so yeah. he'd still be at S Mart right now and. Yeah. I love you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so this is the part of the show. Uh, we got We got uh, Flyboy, who mentioned earlier that he um, is into paranormal investigations. So he's going to share with us a little bit of news in the uh, world of uh, paranormal.
4: Yeah, as far as uh, paranormal news, um, uh, I like to just basically keep it, uh, here in Iowa, unless there's some groundbreaking story, but, um, yeah, a little bit more about what I do. Um, like I said, I run a group, Iowa paranormal. I've been running about four or five years now. Uh, our main thing is obviously ghost, um, that we go around chasing. We've been to hell every damn place. You can about imagine theaters, army barracks, mansions, just you name it. We've been there. Um, uh, we got an event coming up uh, this Saturday um, at a, uh, a schoolhouse, abandoned schoolhouse up uh, north of Des Moines in a little town called uh, Farrar. It's the old uh, Farrar Schoolhouse. It closed down back in uh, 2002, uh, built in 1918. A uh, uh, few owners, uh, This uh, Jim and Nancy Oliver, bought this schoolhouse uh, several years ago and started having weird experiences. Well, they started opening up the place for tours, and uh, my group and I went there last July, and it was the first time. I mean, we've we've done forty cases now, and you know I, I very rarely have seen a lot of things, unfortunately, and uh, this was the first time that I was kind of floored. I mean, I've seen figures walking the walls. I heard little kids laughing, running up and down the hallways. Um, first time that I was really like holy shit, what the fuck is going on, you know? And uh, so they asked us to do a uh, ghost school event, um, just basically where people can purchase tickets to come along and investigate with us at the schoolhouse. So this Saturday, um, May 12th, we are doing a uh, big event there. Uh, we're raffling off a bunch of prizes for different uh, ghost hunting equipment. Um, selling t shirts as well, kind of like, uh, I graduated from ghost school with Iowa Paranormal. Um, so yeah, we got that going on, and, uh, we're as well, uh, doing the Hotel Atemwa here in a few weeks. Um, that's just, uh, in your Mike and Jason's neck of the woods, um, mm. old hotel that, uh, rumors of, you know, during the Prohibition era, and they did a lot of stuff underground. I guess there's, big huge basement underneath there um even rumors of al capone was there atelmo they actually called it the little chicago because um, a lot of you know a lot of the mobsters from chicago came down to atelmo and you know did their uh, illegal business down there and stuff so um they asked us to come in and uh, check out that a uh, lot of big things in the works uh, just gonna you know we just got to get some confirmation on some things and hopefully uh by the next uh, podcast i'll be able to uh uh, give a little bit more information but um yeah a lot of big stuff coming up and i'll definitely keep you guys tuned
1: in sounds
2: good man yeah
1: cool stuff man excellent great well thank you for that Flyboy. okay and another segment on Attack of the, Pod, Attack of the Killer podcast, sorry, is uh, uh, our buddy Justin is giving us
2: uh, the, what's new in horror? Justin, what do you got for us? I don't know but I mean, in terms of new stuff going on, I mean, the big film, I guess, coming out that would be genre-related is Dark Shadows from Tim Burton. Of course, opens this Friday, and a lot of people are really, really excited about it. I think it looks great. It looks like uh, the, the trailer really gives me more of a feel like an Edward Scissorhands kind of thing, but the scope of the picture I think is is really exciting, and I think it, it looks as dark as it does funny, and so I'm pretty excited about that. Um, uh, in terms of like DVD stuff. I'm still really excited about the Corman Classic stuff from Shout Factory that continues to roll out, mm-hmm. and they've been packing these things and doing a really great job of remastering these films that have always looked like garbage on video in their pan and scan. Even on DVDs, the New Horizons releases of this stuff from Death Race on you you know we've always had to deal with just seeing a fraction of the picture. So to finally get to experience these as they deserve to be seen is a real thrill, and the bonus features are just icing on the cake for that. Um, I did want to point out a couple things. Corman has been stepping into the commentary world a little more lately, as of the last couple of years here, and two in particular that you would think would be, uh, I, I guess maybe you wouldn't assume would be great resources. Are actually really really good. Dino Croc versus Super Gator, which is a Jim Wynorski directed film. Yeah, has has Roger and Jim talking, but it's actually kind of a, a school. Uh, you know, it's a tutorial on independent filmmaking, how to save money, how to you know make the most of locations and oh, nice. small crews and all of that. So, how they recommend that, and then he also recently had a big hit on his hands on the Sci Fi Network with Sharktopus. Yeah, that came out last year, and the Blu-ray for that and the, and the DVD has a, have a commentary with uh, Roger and his wife Julie, who is also a producer on a number of films you know, from them, and it was a similar thing as Dino Croc versus Super Gator, where they're talking about how they make these things happen and taking advantage of all the things that a low-budget doesn't afford you, and so yeah, highly recommend both of those. Um, In the world of Carpenter, he has uh, a new comic series called Asylum that came out recently online. If you look up John Carpenter Asylum Comics, you'll see those. They're doing a really innovative format for fans to experience these in a way that you don't normally get to with comic books, where you actually get to look at the page and then peel back the layers from the final product all the way down to the first drawing. Of of the panels and everything, so it's a really neat interactive experience. And John's actually scored music for you to listen to as you're reading the comics. Oh, cool! So so it's sort of an all-in experience for him in a completely different format and world for him. And it's just the beginning. Um, It's a cool storyline that deals with the wildfires that hit L.A. every couple years, uh, sort of acting as a cover for these demons that come up from the sewers. And you know, basically uh, inhabit the city uh, only when these wildfires come, sort of under the cover of these f- of the flames and all that happens as a result of that. And there's uh, really cool characters in them, so recommend Carpenter's Asylum comics as well. That's about all I've got for anything that's new and cool.
1: Awesome. I'm lame. It's no, it's that, great
2: that was stuff,
1: awesome. man. It was awesome. Very cool. Very cool. Okay. So, yeah, we're just trying out some different segments for the show, kind of seeing what fits, what, uh, uh, what will really work with the show. Um, definitely thanks to Stephen and Justin for those. Uh, if you, if uh, people out there are liking these particular segments and wants to hear more of them, uh, just leave comments. Um, that would be great. Or, definitely right there
0: on our Facebook page.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so that leads me into a segment that I have called Blast from the Past. Uh, we're, uh, definitely have a, quite the collection of horror magazines throughout the years and, and, you know, every once in a while I'll start, uh, digging through them and reading through some, some back issues and, and every once in a while I'll find something that like kind of strikes me funny, uh, something that is completely out of context today or, um, You know, just uh, some interesting factoid that we didn't know about before or what have you. Um, I I had at one point a really awesome letter that I was going to read from somebody, but I couldn't find that particular issue uh, right before um, starting the podcast. So I thought I'd read this one because it's also kind of interesting because all you guys remember the movie Trick or Treat with um, the heavy metal Heavy Jesus. metal, Freddy Krueger.
2: Yeah. Heck
1: yeah. <laughs> we all know it's awesome, right? It's an awesome movie. But we also all know that watching it today, it's cheesy as all get out. Am I wrong? It's pretty cheesy. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> and this is, this is uh, somebody who is quite taken by the film here. So thanks so much for the article on Trick or Treat. Charles Mar- Martin Smith has made one incredible debut as a director. Trick or Treat is no doubt the best horror heavy metal movie ever made. I've seen it seven times now, and I'm still going back for more. I'm counting the days until the sequel. I wonder how far she's still counting. I at what day she finally give up counting. She's still sitting there in a corner at her house going 1 million, 1,000, 1,000. Okay. Um, <clears throat> the actors really impressed me although Gene Simmons and Ozzy Osbourne deserved more screen time to display their numerous... Excuse me, I can't even finish that. To display their numerous talents. (laughs) However, I'm still marveling at the transition of Mark Price from Family Ties, Wimpy Skippy, remember Mark Price from Family Ties, Uh, to Radical Headbanger, Eddie Weinberger, or something like that. Way to go, Mark! And I need to mention the awesome Tony Fields as the delightfully evil Sammy Kerr. I'm sure any red-blooded female headbanger such as myself would love Fields to burst out of her stereo speaker. Please print some more gorgeous pictures of Sammy. And if possible, can you tell me where I could get a poster of Sammy Kerr? (laughs) (laughs) Trick or treat, guys. Trick or treat. That changed her life
2: oh man i enjoyed the film but good lord i didn't want to rub you know take down my Kirk cameron poster for anything in it. No,
1: no. <laughs> i'm sorry my price is no Kirk cameron that's for sure
2: i like to see those guys fight i think that would be fun to put those two in a ring i think they need to do the trick-or-treat remake but with Kirk cameron oh my you just blew my mind and somehow that girl heard what you just said and she's on the phone with somebody
1: Right now she's finally stopped <laughs>
2: counting and it's like i'm done counting yeah gonna this is it count. it's gonna happen and st mike said so <laughs> i wish there was a movie called cadaver christmas i could hear about hey. some other time some other time
3: zombies,
2: zombies at christmas oh that's right zombies at christmas <laughs> when i go visit my friends in africa
3: <laughs> it's big in
2: africa
1: all right guys, well that that wraps up this uh Our premiere first 17 episode. 17 hour.
2: No, it's not we're not done. We didn't we uh oh you're doing the other thing. You're going to chop this thing down to like 15 minutes, right? Uh, oh man. Make <laughs> but, it
1: make it really interesting. It's all gold. Just everything, we'll just take everything out of context and it'll be <laughs> good. <laughs> so, uh, anybody have any final thoughts on uh on this premiere episode? I think
0: we should have went with the Golden Girls discussion maybe. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that would have been yeah longer. Yeah. <laughs> longer, wetter. <laughs> <laughs> An oh, in-depth study of every episode. That why you're sick. I just know
0: it was great to get to chat with you guys like it always is. I'm glad we were recording this time.
1: <laughs> always recording. Always record. Good stuff. Okay, so before we finish this off, uh, plugs. This is the plug segment where we all get to promote our own little crap.
2: Joe? <laughs> <laughs>
3: Man, man, you guys. Bunch <laughs> of sons of bitches, that's who you are. Uh, I there was a website. Yeah. The, uh... My, my movie is going to be at the Fright Night Fear Fest, is that? And at the end of June, I might go to it. I'm still trying to talk the wife into letting me go to it, but... that That's, uh... I mean, there's been a couple of movies that I've seen on the the festival circuit, indie movies that I've enjoyed a lot, and, and meeting filmmakers and talking with them. There, there's a there's a lot of talent out there that that hasn't been seen, and it's it's hard to to get them seen. I think, but hopefully it happens, and everybody gets
0: distribution and
3: gets gets more uh, exposure. I guess.
1: I don't know what else. Excellent. Okay. Uh, Just
2: that, that whole part. <laughs> is is is, uh, is Cadaver available still on DVD? Or no, is... you can no longer buy Cadaver. For right now, okay, all right. For right on. now, it, gotcha. it,
3: uh, it will be available through Level Thirty Three sometime in October. Okay, which, cool. which it will be uh, probably you know on Netflix and all that stuff. So.
0: Awesome! That's great. Congratulations! That's, yeah. just, congratulations! Such a good film.
2: You're
3: lying. You're all lying.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
3: Well, it's our I favorite do.
0: movie. You know it. <laughs>
2: yeah. We just yeah, it's good, man. It's excellent. We love it. Uh huh. Love it. Love it. All right. Who's next? Justin, you want to go? Yeah,
1: Clodes. my list.
2: My list is yeah. Uh, so the, the, quite a few things going on. Like uh, some web work. If you go. I'm working on the all the, like the HalloweenMovies.com site and Facebook uh, Trankus Films. I'm also in the middle of actually the beginning rather of the writing the official book on the Halloween series. It's the complete authorized history and about to announce the book deal on that, which is probably going to be locked within about two weeks here. And so you can go to officialhalloweenbook.com to keep up on that, and that's on Facebook as well. And that's all inclusive—all ten films—and the interviews have been actually underway for quite a few months now. And all the mysteries are revealed, and um, origins of things that people have been, you know, uh, curious about for so long are finally going to be have the stories told. So really excited to be putting that together. The Scare Foundation is a nonprofit group that I'm vice president of. We combat teenage homelessness and poverty by having a series of events and screenings, fundraisers, and things like that. Uh, you can go to scarefoundation.org for more information and to donate and get a sweet t shirt. We have, we just today, in fact, announced uh, an event that we're going to be having next April in los angeles tied in with the days of the dead convention Uh, it's a convention that actually has several different events around the country and next april we're going to have a an an actual event of our own during the convention there in los angeles next month rather in july i'm going to be appearing at days of the dead indianapolis um, and also we'll be doing some fundraising for scare there And they're doing a series of screenings, including an uncut version of Nightbreed that Clive Barker has put together for for them specifically. And the money from that's going to be funneled to Scare Foundation, too. So we're really happy that these guys are supporting us. And that's going really well. In terms of what's the newsstands right now, um, well, quote-unquote, there's a George Romero tribute issue, timely considering our discussion today, from... Uh, those of us at Fangoria, that's a limited edition, to a, limited to a thousand copies. We they just found a few more, so there's still a few left. If you go to Fangoria.com, and I have a several articles in there on some of George's films. We just announced uh, the ed- editor of Fangoria, Chris, and I just completed the magazine for Kisses' upcoming album, Monster. It's their tour book. And also the tie-in magazine for it, and I have a number of things, including a big retrospective on Kiss meets the Phantom of the Park. In nice, that.
4: yeah. And, <laughs> and
2: that's and that's going to be coming out in ju- in June. And I actually managed to track down the star, the director, and the producer, none of which had pretty much ever been interviewed about it before. So that's pretty exciting. And I got to talked to Gene on it as well. Um,
1: Did he actually have nice things to say? <clears throat> <laughs> about that. Well, it's it almost seemed like that movie was completely swept under the rug by Chris or by Kiss. Like, they yeah, didn't it kind of know about it.
2: It kind of was in a way. Like, gee, it's amazing how, and I'm not. I mean, you know, this is common knowledge, but uh, Gene's memory of that time is just almost purely about Ace and Peter. You know, he doesn't talk about anything else in the KISS universe from that era other than what a mess those guys were and what a pain in the ass, especially Peter, was to deal with. And so, um, you know, his his input was definitely valuable to the piece, but, it, I, you know, I kind of was hoping for a little more in terms of stories of what actually happened during the filming as opposed to Peter's car accident and how, how you know. But there's st- still some interesting stories in that, so you have to check that out. We just put the cover online – so you can go to – like on Facebook, it's all over. And, if, and that's going to be available at KissOnlineFangoria.com, and as they're touring, it's going to be available too. A um, couple more things, and then I'll shut up. Um, <laughs> I'm actually, uh, ironically, going to be appearing on a podcast called Land of the Creeps. We're f- doing our recording next week. It'll whoa, be broadcast whoa, whoa, whoa. in two weeks. I'm sorry. <laughs> You're two timing us? What is and this? <laughs> the theme is going to be the Chainsaw Massacre sequels. So – That's going to be the discussion. That'll be out in, in, I think, three weeks from now or so. Um, Holly Shorts, I am a judge there in Los Angeles Film Festival. We are still open for submissions on that. And it's not just genre stuff. It's like anything. So if anybody has a short film, go to hollyshorts.com. And if you'd like to get some serious exposure, it's a great great venue for that. Doing Comic-Con, working on Demonica with prescribed films. And for back issues of Fangoria and Famous Monsters of Filmland, two magazines I write for, you can go to Fangoria.com or FamousMonsters.com and order away. And there I'm done. <laughs> 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 All right. Uh,
1: Flyboy, did you have anything else you wanted to add? You mentioned a lot of your yeah, stuff. Yeah, uh, just uh, my group,
4: IA Paranormal, uh, IAParanormal.com. Um, I have All our stuff on there, upcoming investigations, click on there. We have uh, some events coming up that uh, you can buy tickets to. Join us uh, at some different places, an old jail, um, the schoolhouse, different things like that. So, um, yeah, www.iaparanormal.com.
0: Awesome, man. Well, uh, all I really got is prescribedfilms.com and demonicamovie.com, and it's the same stuff that Mike would say anyway, so I'm just going to let him finish out the plugs oh
1: man okay i was trying to get him to do it i feel like i've talked enough um okay yeah uh well in our world of prescribed films we are working on our next feature film this summer called demonica um it's you know a movie about demons on skates on roller skates so that ought to be super fun um obviously you know like he said uh you know, prescribedfilms.com. You know, you can go there and 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 check out information about the film on there. Uh, we also have our Facebook, um, you know, group. You know, like us on there. Prescribedfacebook.com uh, backslash blah, prescribedfilms. Blah. blah blah.
0: But, but most <coughs> importantly, if you go to demonica.movie.com, you can still help us by uh, donating to the film to help us raise money so we can feed people just one more day.
1: Yes, yes. So, and then of course, you know, starting up this podcast, um Attack of the Killer Podcast, which, you know, com. Yep. You're probably there listening to it right now.
0: Yeah.
1: It's weird how that works, so. If you got
0: this far in the if you had all, if you had enough time to get this far.
1: And so that's yeah, that's it for our plugs. So. Awesome. Well, thanks guys. I think this show rocks a good first episode Woo. I, I think, think so I think we, we, we worked through a lot of our, our um, <laughs> issues today <laughs> alright well <laughs> thanks guys
0: thanks fellow attackers thanks and, for listening
1: and uh,
0: Ooh, we'll see you again next me. time yes mm-hmm.
1: attention planet earth and beyond stay tuned for attack of the killer podcast